Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I am really thrilled to have David McDaniel as my guest for this episode. David has been a friend of mine for 10 years now, and at one point kind of was my boss when he was a director of strategic partnerships at North Point Church. He's now an elder there, and uh, David's one of those guys who just has done an awful lot in his life. He was in the business sector for years and uh, sold a, a startup that did incredibly well, then moved into ministry, and we get to some of that story. And uh, now is back in business again. He left North Point Church, uh, Church's staff position a couple of years ago, and now he is uh, in commercial real estate. So he's done all kinds of interesting stuff, although he'd never tell you. He is a Harvard MBA grad, and he's simply brilliant. He's actually a close personal friend, he is a mentor of mine. We talk regularly just about life and about family and about leadership. In fact, right after we record this intro, I'm going to be talking to him just about some stuff going on in my life, and he's just always got great advice. And uh, I, I wanted to have David on, um, number one, because he's a friend, number two, because he's brilliant, number three, because I think he really speaks into that space and helps us bridge the divide between business and the church. There's like this ongoing debate all the time in the church about, you know, what can business learn from the church? What can church learn from business? And some people hate that conversation. Other people love that conversation. Some people criticize that conversation. And I think David brings incredible clarity to it. And uh, so much so that Andy Stanley's asked him to serve as an elder uh, at North Point Church. I mean, that's an incredible responsibility. And uh, and he just he's just great. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So for all the business leaders who are part of a church, but going, hey, how come my voice doesn't always get heard? Hope this will be helpful. For all of you church leaders, maybe who don't really know how to engage business voices, hope this is going to be helpful. Hey, uh, just a couple things before we jump into David's interview. First of all, if you have not registered for the Orange Tour yet this fall, I would so encourage you to do that. I'm going to be in a bunch of cities across the U.S. and would love to meet with you there. Uh, all the details are at orangetour.org. It is a great single day session, just like high octane leadership. We're going to be talking all about how to reach families, and I'm going to be working with senior leaders. So I would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, you can go to orangetour.org or again, just check the show notes for this and uh, love to have a conversation with you there. Secondly, thank you to everybody who continues to share this show. It's hard to believe we're coming up to our first anniversary next month. And it's hard to believe that a year ago, none of this existed. And it was about 419 of you who got the word out for the first time on this podcast last September. It was 419 people who said, yeah, I'm interested in this podcast, so shoot me some details. So I did. And you shared it with people. And do you know, last month, we had a week where over 17,000 leaders listened to this podcast in a seven-day window. So you just think about how that's changed from like 419 people who said, hey, I believe in this. This is just an idea, but I'll share it with my friends. And now, less than a year later, 17,000 people listen in a seven-day window, over like 60,000 people a month are listening to the podcast now. And and that's that's just so encouraging. So I just I just want to say thank you for that. And for all of you who have left reviews, for all of you who keep sharing this stuff, you know, posting it to your Facebook wall, emailing it to friends. 
And I don't know about you, but I've always thought, you know, if our church could reach a thousand more people, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you're doing this anyway, so wouldn't it be wonderful if a thousand more people came to know Jesus um, doing what you're doing? And in a similar way, you know, I feel kind of a calling on my life to help lead leaders or help leaders. And um, I think it's just awesome. Like, I, I, I couldn't have imagined a year ago that 17,000 people would listen in the course of seven days. So, just thank you so much for that. And as you share it, I hope you help other leaders as well. And you can do that by leaving a rating or review on iTunes, on Stitcher, or on TuneIn Radio, or also just um, subscribing. If you haven't subscribed yet, it's a way to never miss an episode. So just want to say thank you for that as we approach the first anniversary of the podcast. It makes it very motivating to keep doing this. And now we're going to jump into my conversation with David McDaniel. Well, I'm super excited to have my great friend, and, and business leader and a North Point elder and former director of strategic partnerships for North Point, David McDaniel on the podcast today. Hi, David. Hey, Kerry. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you and I met 10 years ago, didn't we? That's right. In Chicago at Willow Creek. We did. We met at Willow Creek at a, uh, one, of the, one of the very early multi-site sort of sessions that they had. And uh, I remember uh, meeting you down front and it was, uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Did we know about each other ahead of time or was it just one of those random things? Reggie Joyner, oh, yeah. I think, told each of us to make sure that we, that we saw each other while we were there, which we did. And I'm forever grateful to Reggie for introducing us. It's been a wonderful relationship. Yeah, it's been it's been great. David's been one of our elders at Connexus Church, one of the founding elders of Connexus Church, and unfortunately, we had to kick you off. It was either like rig our constitution like a third world nation and just keep your term forever, or I think it was a wise exercise of church discipline. You saw some things in my life that you weren't <laughs> pleased with. You pulled me aside. You did. It was very biblical, and I got excommunicated. I, I, that's fine. I, well, having I been rebuked, though, I'm, I'm encouraged to, to see the progress in your life, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David's absolutely one of my favorite people and a guy that I consider to be my mentor and was kind of my boss. I mean, do I have a boss at North Point? But you were my boss for a few years and uh, invited me and Connexus Church into the strategic partnership circle and came from business, but then uh, left again uh, the staff at North Point about three years ago to jump right back into business. So give us your like, you know, two minute bio, David. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Maybe you and my mom are the only people in the world that would be interested. For whatever reason, I tend to do things in 10 year stints. And so I started in industrial real estate, uh, developing uh, warehouse buildings, basically, and spent about 10 years doing that. And then very cyclical business. And in one of the down cycles, I actually, I was in Dallas at the time I left and moved to Atlanta with two, met two, well, met a new friend and, and, uh, and, and joined a, an old friend and started a telecom company. And we did that for mm-hmm. 10 years and, and uh, very fortunately did fine with that. And then about that time, we sold that company and, about that time, our church was going, it was a Baptist church in Atlanta, was going through some difficulty, and uh, we ended up starting a new church, which was called Buckhead Fellowship. We thought we would trick That's people. That's awesome. Calling it a fellowship, not a church. You, know. <laughs> you tricked everybody, didn't you, with that? Yeah, we, we, that's the problem. We tricked everyone. And, and that ultimately, God's grace, that ultimately became Buckhead Church. Hmm. And I kind of got swallowed up into North Point never intending to go into ministry, but I did that for about 10 years. So that's another 10-year stint. 
And, uh, and then now, you know, for the last two or three years, I've, I'm back in industrial real estate. So maybe it's cyclical and, and mm-hmm. I'll end up kind of repeating the cycle. But so you're buying up buildings and. Yeah. And in, in our business, like say it's cyclical. So at the bottom of the trough, you, you, you buy buildings. And then as, as the, as the markets improve, which is where we are now, you, you build buildings. So that's, that's kind of where we're in that transition and we're starting to build warehouses, which is wonderfully exciting only to people that build warehouses, not to, uh, not to podcast listeners. So I won't, I won't bore you with that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's one of those things where I don't think, you know, when you were in your thirties, you would have thought you'd give a decade of your life on church staff and, yeah. you know, it just, it just never occurred to you. You're just a business guy, a, an entrepreneur and Christian always involved in the church. But what led you to take like a more, cause this is what I want to focus on. We're going to talk a little bit about multi-site, your time at North Point and so sure. on, but I really want to talk about the church business I would say tension that exists sometimes between a lot of the leaders that I meet in church world who are like, you know, church really can't learn anything from business. And a lot of business leaders who look at the church and go, yeah, we can't learn anything from church. And the church really doesn't have much to say to us. And I mean, I understand where that tension comes from. But one of my favorite parts of leadership is actually taking some of the best principles you can learn in business and some of the best leaders and, and taking the best of church world and kind of putting them together. But what led you as a, as a business leader to go, you know, this is more than just a place I go to on a, on a Sunday morning. Right. I, you know, I had a very segmented view of the two and I think most people do. And um, so there's business world and there's church world and they're very different. And as I get older and I don't know that this is correct, but this is what I think now. And I, I suspect it's correct, but I'm not hundred percent certain, but I, I just think God is amused by all of these these differentiators, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I created both of you, you people. You're exactly alike. You're human beings. You happen to be in different sectors that the IRS deems one for-profit, one not-for-profit, but you're supposed to glorify me in everything you do. And, and you know, one is not more spiritual than the other, and one is not more effective than the other. Mm-hmm. Yet we fall into these traps as people as, as seeing it that way, which is just crazy to me. Now, I, I had a very convenient separate view of the world, though, when I, you know, when I was 30. So it was completely bifurcated, so to speak. Yes. There was sort of what you did on, and that wasn't morally or spiritually. It was just like, I don't know whether my business gifts can ever be used in the church. Yeah. And, you know, with all due respect, it was, it was empirically demonstrated for me. You know, I, I, I had that view of the universe and I probably spent some time around churches that were, you know, that, that had a, their fair share of, I'll, I'll just say not effective leaders. Now, mm-hmm. trust me, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that about all churches, but I think what, what changed that for me was meeting the North Point guys. I had never ever been around anyone that thought of leadership in those same ways that Andy and his team did. And uh, that's, that's, what, that's what changed everything for me. Okay, let's back up to something you said before we get to the North Point days, because sure. you said, you know, as a young business leader, and I think this is true. I mean, gosh, I've, you know, Connexus is a somewhat larger church now, but I remember, you know, when our churches were really, really small, you've got business people in your church every Sunday. And I think, and I learned this because, I mean, my first sort of training was in law and I worked for a year in downtown Toronto, which is like the equivalent of Wall Street. And 
I was part of a church, but like it was like there were two worlds and there was sort of the church world and there was the business world. And, you know, people would drive down to the financial district or to some of the towers in downtown Toronto where they practice law and then they come to church on Sunday. But I think you're right that the attitude that I picked up early on when I was in my 20s in law in downtown Toronto was, you know, church really doesn't speak into business and business doesn't really speak into church. And that always bothered me. So your view of church leaders early on when you were a young entrepreneur was, wow, there's some really ineffective people in church world. Right. Right. And I think what, you know, a couple of things probably could have influenced me otherwise. First of all, I think church leaders that aren't learning and aren't great leaders and aren't trying to get better and better do themselves a huge uh, disservice. And I'll even be more blunt than that. I think they do God a disservice by not honoring him and, and doing and, and, and growing and trying to, to uh, honor him by the, the craftsmanship you know, of, of what you produce and what you do. But I think by being better leaders and trying to learn everything they can from the world in general, including the business world, about being better. And, and uh, is an important thing to do. And there, there's great resources that are written by business leaders, and there are great resources that are written by nonprofit leaders. But there are all kinds of resources to get better. And I think I would have been attracted to a team of people with any organization, for profit or not, that is trying to be better and better and better. We all love those stories. We love the we love the coffee shop that goes the extra mile, that does the extra thing for us. You know, as a as a consumer or the or the running shoe store that does something new and different, you know, puts you on a treadmill or whatever. We're intrigued by people trying to do something better. And I think if churches do that, it naturally just draws business leaders in as a magnet. Hmm. You know, people want to be a part of something that's missional that that is and is and is effective at 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 achieving whatever it's trying to achieve. That that's a great story. You know, whether it's a whether it's a restaurant or a shoe store or a church. You know, people are People are excited to, to be part of something that is actually making a difference. So you and I tend to be on the same page when it, when it comes to that. I agree with what you said. And yet, I think we both experienced a lot of resistance to those ideas, too, in the church world, where right. there is an inherent suspicion or distrust of any idea that would come from the business community. From where you sit as a business leader, do you have any idea why some Christian leaders, and I know I'm asking you to speak for other people or think for other people, but do you have any idea why a, a meaningful number of church leaders seem to have that inherent distrust or suspicion about business leaders? And then secondly, and maybe even more interestingly, how does that make you feel as a business leader? Well, I, I think that more than one business leader has probably run all over a church guy or a church mm. person. So, Business leaders probably, in some instances, deserve to be distrusted or mistrusted. But but I but I do think there's this there's this crazy notion sometimes that things are either spiritual or they're business, hmm. you know. And there's a bifurcation there, and and I have no idea, you know, why that's true. I think if people really examine that, they would say, no, that's that's not really true. The same principles that allow a successful business to operate, and, and by that I mean a really well thought of business that's really taking care of its customers and all of its stakeholders and doing a great job in the community. More often than not, the reason they're doing all that is not because they're evil, greedy people going after profits, because they're adhering to God's principles. They may not be godly people, but they're in here they're they're adhering to principles that God established for leadership that 
guess what? It happens to work for believers and non-believers. I mean, that's just a God principle. And so I think when we stop thinking of the leadership principles as either being you know, church leadership or business leadership, and they're totally different, I think they're more similar than they are different. And I think the more we tear down those walls, the better served we are. And I think if church leaders would get rid of that notion, they would avail themselves of wonderful leadership principles and wonderful leadership people that would love to be part of their church, but they feel this wall, this sort of Chinese wall that's not really there. It's only there in our heads. Hmm. And likewise, business leaders would stop thinking of church people as, quote unquote, so spiritual, because we know, you know, from being on the spiritual, well, on the quote unquote spiritual side, the ministry side is there are a bunch of knuckleheads who aren't very spiritual, who call themselves church leaders, who don't deserve that title. Just like there are a bunch of business leaders who are just blowhards and they aren't really very good business people, you know, they're just people and they're flawed on both sides of the both sides of, of this this Chinese wall that that I think is really just imaginary. Personally, you know, that may be heretical, but I, I think we just tend to do that because it's convenient for us to think of people in boxes. Well, that's a really good way of thinking about it, and I think that's pretty balanced, David. You know, there there is that sense in which, and I appreciate the fact that you raised it, there are probably a lot of church leaders listening who have been burned by business leaders. And, oh yeah, you know, where, where you talk about the business leader who just comes in and like, you know, my way or the highway and bull in a china shop runs over a bunch of, you know, elders or pastors or, or church leaders and... And so business in the mind of that kind of leader gets tarnished and like, right. well, I had an entrepreneur on my elder board once, or I had a business owner on my, uh, on my elder board once, and it was a disaster and we're never going back there. Well, I, I think they're using what is probably an emotionally, you know, someone with a low, you know, EQ or emotional quotient who's, who's masquerading as a great business guy. And really, <laughs> if you probably looked at their business, they probably run their business the same way. It's probably revolving door. And however effective they are, they would have been a business, better business leader if they didn't run over people in general. Yeah. So the bad practices they're exhibiting in your church aren't business practices. They're just bad practices. It's a low EQ person trying to compensate by just running over people. And so what they've experienced is not bad business people. They've experienced bad leadership in general. And the best leaders are the ones on either side of the equation that can come in and really help. And, and people just love, they're just, they just attracted to them and, 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 and they're magnetically attached to them and they'll go wherever they go. And uh, you also probably have seen those kind of business guys. And I've seen church people go, well, that business leader is a great business leader, but it's because he's so spiritual, hmm. you know, or whatever. But I would submit to you that there are business guys who are as lost as they can be, who are great leaders. And they just have naturally learned God's principles in, in business, and they're great business people, and they would be wonderful folks to come alongside you in church and help you in church and maybe, maybe meet God, you know, maybe meet mm. Jesus uh, in so doing. But I, I think what they're seeing is just bad leadership. They're not seeing business people. So this is interesting because you're saying, okay, so, and, and I realize this will be a category bender for some people, but that there are business leaders who maybe don't believe in God would consider themselves atheists, you know, no interest in Jesus or whatever, who have actually discovered God's principles and leadership. That's yes. interesting. That's going to, that's going to bend some of us who are seminary graduates going, how does that happen? Can you say more about that? Fascinating that Jim Collins book, and I can't remember, you'll have to 
forgive me, I can't remember if it's built to last or good to great, mm-hmm. but he but he discovers leadership principles that happen to work. And one really, you know, counterintuitive leadership principle that he finds, I think it must be built to last, that he finds is, and he calls it category five leaders. Yeah. Well, we in the spiritual world would call that servant leader. Right. But he was amazed. He he went in, you know, expecting, they did all this empirical studies and they were trying to find out who is really an arrogant leader versus who is a, a more, uh, you know, humble leader. And how do we measure that? And they literally, you know, measured PR releases, you know, press releases about the CEO personally, you know, in companies, try to get a proxy for how humble. And the leaders that emerge are the guys that don't, they, they have a high ego for the company, but not for themselves personally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we would call that, you know, we, we would call that humility and servant leadership. It's actually a God principle. Je- you know, Jesus demonstrated it while he was here on the earth. It works. It's a God thing. Well, these people that have this, you know, that were in these successful companies, you know, maybe one or two of them knew that that was, that, you know, they were they were Christians and they were just emulating Christ. But maybe one or two of them had no idea. They were just, you know, their personalities were naturally humble and that's what worked for them. Hmm. But they, they stumbled on God's principle of servant leadership. Jim Collins calls it, you know, a category five leader. It's this counter. He expected to find Jack Welsh kind of people. Right. People that were just, you know, gung-ho, in-your-face kind of leaders. And he found the opposite. And uh, that's, a, that's just a God principle. I think you wrote about that in both books. But I, I remember it's in Good to Great that he uncovers the secret sauce for the first time and says... Right. You know, you would have expected to see bravado. You know, I fire the bottom 10% of my staff every month. And that's how we become great. And he was just shocked to discover. And I think he did call it humility, David. He did. Yes. that, That is so surprising. And I think what a lot of Christians think is, well, if you didn't read it in the Bible, it can't be true. And yet, you know, I believe all truth is from God. If something actually is true, and humility is a biblical principle. So when you encounter that you know, in the Harvard Business Review or in one of Jim Collins's books, that doesn't mean that it's not potentially from God. I mean, all truth is from God. It just, it resonates, right? Math is math. I mean, two plus two equals four, regardless of where you are. That's exactly the point I'm making. And I think when we destroy this sort of myth of nonprofit versus profit or business leader versus church leader or parachurch leader or ministry leader, and just think about God's principles. A lot of things start to make sense. You know, I, I listen to your podcast. Another one I listen to is a Harvard Business Review podcast. And, and when they counterintuitively find these things like Jim Collins did, and they talk about something that works, it's always interesting to me because they're, they're rarely, they're never coming at it from a spiritual perspective or from a biblical perspective. But they'll discover something true about, and they'll, and they'll say human nature or whatever, but it makes me smile. It's like, there it is. You know, there's God's thumbprint on us. Or there's one of God's principles that someone discovered empirically. Why should that surprise us that someone stumbles across one of God's principles without stumbling across Jesus first? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, this whole idea of organizational leadership and excellence, I mean, I always think, man, when Solomon built the temple, if you actually read that, or even the construction of the tabernacle before that yeah. under Moses, right. that was organizational genius. Or when Moses yeah. reorganized how to lead 600,000 Israelites in the desert, it's like, okay, right. we've got to go to tens and hundreds and thousands yeah. and 
you know, we got to find leaders for that, or when the church reorganized in Acts chapter 6, because the apostles were getting exhausted, didn't have any time to preach or pray, and they were involved in the daily distribution of food. All of that is just basic leadership principles that operate in business every day. Or, yeah, was, was it coincidental that Jesus, you know, worked with the three and the 12 differently? You know, mm-hmm. was that just something God was showing us about, you know? sort of multiply ministry or multiply leadership, forget ministry, multiply leadership and influence, whether you're running a coffee shop or a church. And so for you, those walls have broken down more and more over the course of your life and career. Absolutely. They have. And to the point where, you know, I, I no longer, you know, and I, you know, I no longer really think of myself, well, you spent 10 years in the ministry. Now you're not in the ministry you, you know, no, I, I'm in the ministry now, you know, just mm-hmm. like I was then. And, and uh, I happen to work, you know, in an organization that the IRS deems as a taxable organization. But, you know, I, I'm very much, I'm as called to the ministry as you are, you know, Carrie, and you run a church. It's, it's just a different, I, I get a paycheck in a different way. So what are some things that a leader could do, David? who maybe is like, yeah, you know what, I got owned. There's there's a, a division in my mind, a divide in my mind between business and church, between sacred and secular. What are some things leaders can do? I mean, take yourself back 15 years before you met Andy Stanley, before you've said, hey, why don't we do video? And we'll get into that at Buckhead Fellowship, <laughs> right? Right, right? But before you got there, what would have been some things that would have made you go, oh, maybe this isn't as polarized as I thought. Maybe the gifts that I'm using in the financial district Monday to Friday have some application in church world. Boy, you know, if I had run across a young church leader or maybe a student minister or whatever that had read Jim Collins. Mm-hmm. And his concepts of, of leadership are what works in organizations and what, what doesn't. And for whatever reason, they decided, yeah, I know this is written about business, but maybe, just maybe, if I read this whole book, I'll find one nugget that I can use for leadership in my student ministry. Or in my, and, and if someone will just open a leadership book and, and start reading and looking for God's principles, don't mm-hmm. view them as inherently business or evil because you ran across an evil business guy one day. <laughs> You know, think of it as there are God's principles buried in there that, that, that people may be stumbling across, quote unquote, accidentally. You know, that's just how God reveals himself through his truth, right? And it's not always the four spiritual laws. You know, it's not always because someone knocked on your door and, and did an EE presentation to you. It's, it might be that you learn one of God's principles because you just, you see him in nature, you know, and you, you see how, how leadership works. So I think if I had been exposed to that early on, it would have been really cool. And I would have seen the similarities between business and church. And, and there are millions of them. They're more alike than they are different. If I had seen that early on, I would have been drawn to it. So my advice to a young church leader who thinks they're different or they could never appeal to a 45-year-old bank president is absolutely you can. But you got to tear the walls down. I love Andy Stanley's story about, you know, he knew, you know, he was son of a pastor. He knew he knew nothing about, never, you know, really worked in the business world, knew nothing about it, but he was painfully aware of it. And he, and he just decided he'd hang out with Charlie Renfro, who was the Mm -hmm. best business guy he knew. He was older than him and and it was a mentor relationship. And he just hung out with him. It's like, Charlie, teach me about the real world. And he just, you know, hung out with him every Friday for, you know, years and, and, um, and, you know, in the mornings and, and, you know, just find that kind of relationship, read those kind of books and, and do your best to, you know, the way you tear down barriers is, is, you know, you move to the middle. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. You know, have your notebooks open. I meet with business leaders all the time at Connexus and you know, I'm not there to teach. I'm there as much to learn and to listen and to empathize and, wow. and try to figure that out. But yeah, and I think you're right. You know, a lot of church leaders end up with church as their only experience. They come directly out of Bible college and go right. into a church staff position. I mean, I had that right. one year in law that I think taught me so much. It felt like a decade in, in the good right. way, in a good way. But, you know, right. I'm like, and, and I, I did that because I thought, well, I've got the opportunity to do it, number one. But number two, I want to know what it's like before I step into church world to earn a paycheck 365 days in a completely secular environment. And yeah. I mean, downtown Toronto law, completely secular environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, just asking questions of business people, you know, why did you open the, you know, the new location? Why did you do this? Why did you fire that guy? Why did you hire this person? Why did you uh, enter into this product market? You know, whatever. Asking those questions, not looking for spiritual significance or anything. Just, mm-hmm. just you know, the more you know about human nature, the more you know about business, the more you know about what your congregation does for a living. You know, the better sermons you're going to preach, the better you can minister to them, better you can be a pastor to them. So just innocently being curious. You'll find a lot of principles that you can use. It'll be, it'll be great. And they will find that you're curious, and that's compelling. And they'll start being curious about the decisions you make. And you'll find that there, there's way more similarities than there are differences. Well, and you raise a really good like preaching principle as well, which is you have to be a student of your congregation. You need to be a student of the Bible, but you need to be a student of your congregation as well. Right. Because if you don't understand a business person's world, or you don't understand, you know, the stay-at-home parent's world, or even, you know, more challenging for those of us who are on our first marriage, as you and I are, the blended family's world, or right. the guy who's 45, wanted to get married, never got married. If, if you're not asking questions, you can't really empathize, you can't really understand, you only speak out of your own experience, and you're only actually going to connect with a, a very small right. percentage of your congregation who thinks like you. Right. And, and I think your best illustrations of God's principles and God's points are ones that people see in the real world, not recognizing it. You know, the Jim Collins thing, that's a great sermon illustration on servant leadership. Someone who ran across it empirically, wasn't looking for it, wasn't reading Jesus and, and how he dealt with people, but rather looking at executives and organizations at work. And, and so if you happen to know that and you're preaching on servant leadership, well, what a great illustration. In fact, here's a business guy that stumbled into it. Don't we love those kind of stories? And a guy like Bill Hybels, if you've ever been to the Global Leadership Summit, I mean, he has Collins back as a member of faculty on a regular basis. I think Collins was as surprised that he stumbled on some biblical truth as anybody. And guys like Bill Hybels were helping him connect the dots. And it's like, no, actually, this is Jesus talks all about humility. Ken Blanchard, another example of a business leader. He wrote, what, One Minute Manager? How many billion copies did that sell in the 80s? Still selling. And he actually has become a Christian later in life because of Christian leaders who reached out to him and kind of said, hey, you know, you're discovering some stuff that Jesus talked about a long time ago. So, you know, all the more reason to spend time around business people. You'll preach better. You'll minister to them better. Your leadership will be stronger. You'll tear down in your mind these artificial barriers that you build. You'll also learn, you know, Sometimes I think church leaders think all business people are the same. And just like they're knuckleheads that are church leaders and great people that are quiet, church leaders that are great church leaders, they they may not, you know, publish books and write 
wonderful sermons and all that kind of stuff, but they're fantastic leaders for different reasons. They're just not in the limelight. Well, the same is true in business world. And you'll learn to be more discerning. Sometimes church leaders get enamored of the brash, blowhard, you know, guy that drives a seven series BMW, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and they're chasing after the wrong leader, you know, Mm -hmm. and you'll become a better discerner of leadership on either side of this, this sort of false dichotomy that we have in our head. Yeah. And that's a really, it's, it's a really good point too. You know, we think of, oh, all business leaders are like, well, of course not. People are different. And there are great business leaders in your church. There are struggling business leaders in your church. There are not very good business leaders in your church as well. So, you know, how do you, how do you minister to and learn from and even help, you know, people in different settings? So yeah. This is super helpful. I, this is why you can see why I love talking to David. So you got more interested in the church than just being a member when you met some of the guys, when you started, I love that Buckhead Fellowship. I forgot God about that part. Yeah. And so you were trying to start a church and then walk us through that story because you, you started multi-site before there was even a word for multi-site. And, you know, there's one book out on it that somebody wrote in the nineties. Well, it, the whole thing, you know, I, I'm not taking any credit for it. the whole thing's a divine accident, mm. but just real quickly, just, just Norpoint had, had totally prepared for it. And was headed that direction. I mean, so it, it, it's it's Andy and his team before I ever got involved. But you know, I, th- I think because of the crowding in the in the one auditorium, they went from video overflow to <laughs> they they went to what was then their kid stuff theater, and they called it theater worship. You know, where they did video overflow with a live band. You know, try to you know do something, anything, serve bagels, right. donuts, get people in this inferior room, you know. So they had built this campus in nineteen ninety eight that they had overgrown, like outgrown day Completely. two. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then Andy, you know, as he tells it, did what he what he later thought, this is the biggest mistake in my life. I I built an auditorium the size of my live auditorium for video overflow next door to it. This is cool, you know, and mm-hmm. then they learned that work. And then they bought land, but they didn't buy land in Buckhead, they bought land north, which, you know, in coming, which would later become Brownsbridge Community Church. But they were ready to do the multi-site thing, to pull the trigger and, and to do that. And then these knuckleheads with, you know, Buckhead Fellowship came along and, and you know, he coached us as an independent organization for a while. And then probably out of frustration for, you know, our just bungling or, or who knows what it was, you know, asked us if we would actually become their first campus. And they looked, you know, they reversed, you know, 50 years of church growth, which goes from, from density to, to sparsity, from, right. from urban to suburban. And they went the other direction. And they went right into, you know, arguably, you know, the most church, you know, part of the city. Midtown Atlanta. Yeah, right, to, to Buckhead. And uh, so, so the experiment there was, well we, well, we know our adult worship environment can be done with video. But can we do a whole church that's, you know, 20 miles away? Right. You know, will the whole model work separate from us? You know, Buckhead was sort of the first example of kind of the whole model surviving away from, you know, the, the first the first copy. And, uh, you know, and then later, you know, that we went back to Brownsbridge and, and, and built that. But, but um, you know, the whole thing was, was an experiment kind of the whole way. And it was born out of the necessity to solve the crowding problem at North Point. And, it wasn't that we didn't have enough land at North Point because there was a, actually a site where they could build an, yet another auditorium or a larger auditorium, but the traffic infrastructure became so snarled that you couldn't physically get cars on and off the campus during peak hours. And so it was really just born out of total necessity of overrunning you know, one site. Wow. 
So, yeah. So North Point had twinned its auditorium so it could accommodate, I don't know, 5,000 people at once or 4,000 people at once and then was going to go north. But when you showed up at Buckhead Fellowship, Andy started just coaching you as an independent church and then said, hey, would you guys come in and be our location in Midtown, almost downtown Atlanta? And so you actually became the first campus pastor of Buckhead Church. Yeah. You were. Well, let the record show at the time I had no pastor uh, qualification whatsoever. At the time, we called that, the title was campus director. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I think uh, it wasn't that we even knew what the titles were at that point, but we called him campus director for a good long while. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So effectively, I I guess I had that title. And then handed things over to a guy named Jeff Henderson. Yes. Who is now, who was what? six years, five years, seven years at Buckhead Church, and now started Gwinnett Church. And a lot of listeners would know him from Preaching Rocket as well. And then now Billy Phoenix runs Buckhead Church, but it went from that little tiny nucleus of people who were probably meeting in a living room at the beginning to, uh, what is it, eight or 9,000 attenders today? Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. It's I, I laugh every time uh, Laura and I go in. We just we just can't believe it. It's just it's so so far from anything we ever envisioned or anything we were capable of. Hmm. It's laughable. It's, it's just a huge demonstration of what God chose to do, and for whatever reason, let us you know sit on the fifty yard line and watch. It's amazing. But that's an example of business practices applied to church because, I mean, you went from that to Andy invited you to join the staff at North Point, and you did, and you became the director of multi-site or director of multi-site and, and campus expansion strategic partnerships for North Point. And we took that sort of franchise idea and you said, well, if this is working in Atlanta, why yeah. don't we see if we can plant some churches in other places? And now there's over 20 strategic partnerships as well of which we're one at Connexus Church where I serve. Yeah, we sort of, yeah, we did a, you know, for the, for the campus model, we, we adhered to a business principle of kind of growth by, by cannibalization, you know, which is a retail growth concept. Okay, say more about that, because you and I talk about that all the time, but when I let that word slip, hey, we need yeah. to cannibalize this, people are like, whoa, are you on well, some tropical island? What? Yeah, I know, I know. It, sounds, it just doesn't sound very spiritual, you know, and, and th- this is my view of multi-site, and I understand there are churches that don't do this, and I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm just saying I'm, this is just what we've chose, chose. This is me personally, I'm not even going to say this is North Point, I'm not speaking for North Point, but this is me personally. I, I, I think too many churches use, there are lost people, or uh, in this environment, or there are, uh, this is a really growing community or whatever, and therefore we must go there. And I think that, I think that people only go to church based on relationships with believers. You know, either they hear a believer reference their church and they go, maybe I'll try that out. Maybe they get actively invited, but there is a brand awareness, uh, that makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, in, in the same way that maybe a restaurant you know, would grow maybe more successfully by multiple locations in a large city than it would be trying to survive in a brand new city where they don't have word of mouth, you know, sort of brand awareness. Right. And so, you know, so therefore, if you build close enough to where you take a lot, you you can solve your crowding issue by taking half the people out of your existing auditorium and putting them in the new one because it's closer. And now you've got two half full auditoriums with people that are there to, you have inviters and invitees Mm -hmm. and the whole thing works faster and better. You know, so I'm just a, I'm a huge proponent of that sort of strategy of multi-site growth where you grow into fewer, larger campuses that are all very close together. 
Yeah. And the idea of cannibalization is rather than growing them an hour apart, where you're really only going to take like two people from your existing church and plant them out there, you might take 20, 30, 40, 50% of your existing people and move them to a location 20 minutes away, 15 minutes away. Yeah. I, I happen to think that your, your church search probably isn't good enough, you know, to attract unchurched people, you know, in this new environment. And I think you're just so much, but, but your people are good enough to attract unchurched people. And I think if you if you have people that will develop relationships and invite people organically and naturally, and that's the way we that's the way humans are, you know. I think, and I, I just think you're more successful. And so I think, you know, rather than going way out to the suburbs and, and building a campus, why not, you know? And, and also, if you have crowding issues where you are, why not solve that problem and come closer and intentionally cannibalize yourself or basically move a lot of people out and, and don't don't force them to do it to take a missionary oath and to go to Uganda, you know, make a campus big and attractive and attract them out. And, and in the same way, they'll attract new people in. And, and, you know, so that's, that's my sermon ad, but I, you know, I, I just happen to think it's, it's so difficult to find great leaders. You know, mm-hmm. several of your former podcasts have been on the woes of trying to find great campus pastors, you know, they're, they're difficult to find. And it's, and, you know, it's, it's difficult to run an organization of three or four campuses, much less 20 or 30 campuses. So why not? But, you know, God didn't ask us to go out and create campuses. He asked us to go out and create disciples, right? That was the, that was the great commandment. And so if you can achieve the same sort of uh, discipleship or the same sort of new people coming to, to a relationship with Jesus through three campuses as you could with 30, I would submit to you, you should do it with three, you know? Let's uh, let's minimize the interior sort of friction we have in trying to run that many different organizations. In the same way that you probably couldn't imagine what Buckhead Church would become with like six, seven, eight thousand, nine thousand people attending on a weekend, when you know it was just you starting out and it all seems so tenuous, you probably couldn't anticipate what multi-site would become when you started that 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. But I think David, I wonder we haven't talked about this before, but Like, I wonder if you could make the argument that the business acumen of a number of leaders in the early multi-site days really made multi-site possible. Like, that wasn't so much church thinking as it was business thinking, because there was the whole franchise model. And in the early days of strategic partnerships and multi-site, we would talk about, you know, like like a franchise concept of, of doing that. And I think that's a little more wobbly now than it was back then. But, you know, I, I wonder if it was your business training that really helped you become innovative in, in, you know, most churches would have just said, well, we're just out of room, or you build a much bigger auditorium that seats 10,000 people. Yeah. You know, that is interesting concept. I, I was just trying to think, Carrie, I, here's what I would, rather than business, I would just say those are God's principles. Maybe business has to lean unknowingly, mm-hmm. has to lean on God's principle, principles, because if you don't, you die. And in other words, the penalty for not being an effective organization on the for-profit side of the spectrum is that you just die. And, and so they're, they're not business principles, they're God's principles, but they're in an environment that's harsh. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose oxygen in that environment, you die. Yeah. You know, and so, and so I think, I don't think it's business principles, I think it's just a harsh environment and the only thing that works are God's principles, long term. It's a good point. Long term, right? If you're going to be effective, and that was good to great, right? Companies right. that that were great, like above market returns for what was it? A thirty year window, not a three year exactly. window. A thirty exactly. year window. Exactly. Companies that didn't have CEOs who were humble yeah. didn't perform as well as companies that had CEOs that were humble. Great point. Uh, you know, GE wasn't in that list. 
Yes. It's a long-term company, but you know, Jack Wells was very mercurial. Say what you want about his leadership and so forth. Very mercurial personality. And then Walgreens was in that list. Hmm. You know, very understated leader. Don't even know his name. Can't remember from the book. Yeah. You know? and, but 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 there was a difference there. I would say that's God's principles. And so on the on the for, on the not-for-profit end of the spectrum, you know, if you have a few donors. You know, your aunt, your uncle, or one donor happens like the church. A church can survive forever. You know, yeah. it'll dwindle down to nothing. But there's not that same sort of thing that will absolutely, from market forces, kill a church. Right. Businesses die faster than churches. True. Yeah, but I, but but I think they succeed. You know, I, I think I'm beating a dead horse. I, I think they succeed because of God's principles. So, yeah. going back to North Point, I, I think it's an environment that encourages God's leadership principles to thrive. You can put a label of business principles on them if you want. I think it's artificial. I think it's God's leadership principles. I think the franchise model is very similar to what Moses experienced when he franchised himself to different leaders that could handle different things and, and serve more people, right? Moses, Moses could only open one location, you know, with his, <laughs> with his leadership concepts in the desert that, you know, that he was taught by his father-in-law, he actually could reach a lot more people. Well, he franchised himself. So you know, God forbid, it's franchising is actually maybe that idea or that concept or that way to grow a, a, a network of churches. Maybe that's a God thing. Who knows? Maybe it's that's not cool. a business thing. That's cool. What was the hardest transition for you when you first stepped out of the business world and stepped into the church world? What was the hardest thing for you personally? For me personally, it was tearing down those walls in my mind because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was as su- surprised as anyone to meet Andy and his team. And, and to, you know, I, I've read more business books as a part of North Point than I ever read in business school, in business, you know, I, it, it is a much more leadership and oriented environment. So I had to, I had to learn that. I had to throw away, you know, that first. So, so say, hang on. That was a big claim you made because you're actually a Harvard MBA graduate and you read more business books at North Point than you had even in your career. It's not even close. Really? It's not even close. Five X. I mean, huh. it's, it's not even close. So, so you know that I had I had to I had to realize that you know that, 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 hey this is a this is stop thinking of them as as business and church. Think of effective and ineffective. Okay, that's yeah. that's really healthy. Think of organizations as ineffective or, or or effective, and we all know churches or parachurches or ministries that are effective or ineffective. But don't think of it as for profit or not for profit or business or ministry. They're just. There's just organizations and some are, some are effective and some aren't. And I would submit to you the effective ones are ones that adhere to God's principles, either knowingly or unknowingly. That's something I picked up from Andy, too. You know, And we now read lots of business books. I mean, we've worked through The Advantage. Right now, we're reading uh, Greg McEwen's Essentialism. Fantastic book as a leadership team. It takes us forever to get through them just because you're, you know, you're right. plugging away an hour or two a month at it. But it's so fantastic. And we read spiritual books. I mean, I'm reading Tim Keller's prayer, book on prayer and, and, and yeah. so on. So again, you know, if God really does own all truth, sometimes it, it shows up in surprising places. Exactly. And, and the more you realize that, the better off you are. You know, this is silly, but you know, one of the, you know, one of the things Laura and I never got used to was that this whole Sunday being a work day, right? Taking a day off during the week, and North Point tends to be Fridays for most people. That was weird, you know. And we, I never really got used to that. That was just <laughs> kind of a funny thing that we we could never quite figure out how to how to make work. But right, yeah, because that's that's what a lot of churches have done. You either take Monday off or Friday off as a substitute for Sunday, and yeah, so that that was a tough adjustment. 
But, you know, we talk about this business, non-business thing. I, 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 you know, I would try to tell people would go, what's up with you? You're now in a church. What's going on? And you can imagine, you know, business school reunions, that sort of thing. It's just <laughs> you're doing what? What happened? Did your did your life fall apart? You need to understand, you know, it's, it's really business oriented and we're doing this sort of franchise model of growing churches. And, that, you know, I would <laughs> I would get these sort of condescending sort of looks like, good for you. I'm yeah. glad you've rationalized this. Sorry, sorry it didn't work out for you in corporate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. But that's all right. That's the. Clearly yeah, and, and that's why that's why I'm really excited about conversations like this, David. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world where there wasn't the divide? Like, I find when I'm talking to business leaders, too, they're like, what do you do? And I'm more tempted to lead. I don't always do this, but with, you know, I'm an author or I'm a blogger or I'm a speaker rather than I'm a pastor because there's so much negative association that comes with that. It's our own fault. Yep. You know, and and uh, we you can you can fight that and carry out watch you. I, I see you around your elders. You know, I spent a lot of time yeah. uh, watching you around that. And you are universally accepted by business people. It's not because of your quote unquote business prowess. Hmm. It is because of your leadership prowess. And, and again, you know, we, it, it's, and you, you have a natural curiosity. You ask people questions, you, you know, you, 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 you're, you're just engaging and, and any young leader who thinks that he can't ever get a bank president or a, you know, a corporate executive or a whatever to join his church or be a meaningful part of his team leadership wise or become an elder is is unnecessarily limiting himself. Um, I think you find a business mentor and, and, and you do you, you start reading quote unquote business books, if you want to call them that. But you do everything to discover God's leadership principles from every from every angle and uh, and try to close that gap. You'd be surprised. Business people love it when when churches and ministries adhere to business principles yes. and learn things from books written by business leaders and apply them and make them work. They love it. it it's intriguing and, and it and it attracts others. And business leaders attract business leaders. So yeah, is it surprising at all that people are uh, attracted to God's truth? You know, so just avail yourself of that, and uh, and uh, I think you'd be very pleasantly surprised. Well, here's another paradigm, too. I mean, could it be that the church well-led, let's just call it well-led, well-run, becomes a model for businesses? That's one of the things, as we've taken this more seriously, God's principles, as you're saying, and as we've tried to find them, you know, in the business community, and definitely, I mean, everything gets tested against Scripture and the whole deal. But we've now have business leaders who come to Connexus, and it's like, you know, this is better run than most businesses. And yes. That can become very compelling and you can actually be a place like who wouldn't want a humanitarian workplace? Who wouldn't want people's lives to have significance? Who, who, who wouldn't want that? And why can't the church be that place? I could not agree more. And I think we have an inherent advantage because the business world has to stumble across God's truths and quite often they're counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so the servant leader things, the last thing Jim Collins expected to find, they have to dig for it. We don't have to, yeah. right? We can go right to it. And we recognize that that's God's principles of, of leadership. That's just the way people are. That's the way you treat people. Forgiveness, counterintuitive thing, right? Mm-hmm. But it, but it is, it's just a principle that's, that's helpful and true. And so I, I just feel like the more, you know, the, the more that we realize that, the more we will run better, more effective organizations, and more we'll be lifted up in case studies in business schools and studies of leadership and 
Jim Collins, you know, one day might write a book referring to a, a ministry, God forbid, or a not-for-profit that's run really well, that's stumbled across all kinds of principles that are useful in the, in the uh, for-profit world. So uh, we have no excuse. Well, and even guys like Patrick Lencioni are increasingly pointing to churches, effective yeah. churches, as yeah. models of leadership. And Joel Manby, who, who you know, right. he wrote a book a few years ago called Love Works, which is basically, I run my secular company according to 1 Corinthians 13. And right. this is what we do. These are the values that we embody for our employees. And I mean, it is a business book. And again, when businesses operate under God's principles, because all truth is from God, businesses tend to do better than when they don't. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and I think, like I say, we, we have an inherent advantage. We ought to get to it faster, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and I think we have that capability. I think those walls are being torn down. Well, I think out of necessity. You know, David, I really think this has been a super helpful conversation, sort of paradigm shifting, uh, some some nuances there that I hadn't really heard before. And I hope this is helpful. So, you know, if you're a leader who thinks of business and church as being completely separate, and I mean, I know where that comes from, too. That's what I was taught in seminary. You really can't learn from business. This is the church. It's sacred. It's God's work. It's different. And, you know, hopefully that breaks down a few walls. And if you're a business leader who just rolls your eyes whenever you see the church, hopefully that helps you realize that the church actually run well, has some incredible things to offer the business community. David, any last thoughts on on this whole subject that you want to share with leaders? Yeah, I, I, I think just that. I just think look to good leadership and, and effective leaders, regardless of what organizations they are. And likewise, bad, you know, they're 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 bad leaders and and try to learn why they're bad and and what works there and 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 you know so that it's a good bad example so that you don't follow it but i i think uh i think the more that you do that the better off you are so well and pastors and church leaders would be in the unique position of being able to actually discern the biblical principles behind why it's good or or why it's bad and that can be a, a contribution that we make i think to the to the world as well so david i know people are going to want to connect with you. And uh, what's the easiest way? I mean, you're in business right now, so it's not like, you know, you're on the speaking circuit or, or have a, you had a blog, which is still up, right? Is it still alive? <laughs> it, you didn't want me to bring that up, did you? I know it's out there somewhere. Yeah. I wrote uh-huh. about some stuff. Yeah. Like what, maybe eight years ago about multi-site about, you know, lar- large campuses rather than smaller and some real estate stuff. Yeah. I'm not really necessarily out trying to to increase my uh, my influence or speaking engagements, I, I don't do I don't do that at all. But yeah, but you're on so I, I, I yeah I'm on Twitter at d mcdaniel. Every once in a while, I'll I'll throw something up, but not very often. So I wish right. I could tell you more. And the name of your business, just in case people are wondering. Well, it's uh, it's called Huntington Industrial Partners. So if you uh, if you want if you have some land and want to develop a warehouse or something like that, you know, give us a call. David, thanks. You've been a huge investment in my life and continue to be. And I know as an elder at North Point Church these days, you continue to, you know, bring your wisdom to the leadership table at the highest level at North Point Church with Andy and and his whole team. And just thanks for building into lots and lots of leaders this week. Well, Carrie, your influence on me through the years has been huge. And I, I count you as a wonderful friend and a, and a person from whom I have learned a ton. And I appreciate you very much. I love the podcast. I'm a devoted listener to it. And I just think you're, you're doing great stuff. I'm, I'm in awe of the way that you can continually create content. It's, uh, it's very cool. And it's fun to watch God's, uh, God's giving you that capability. It's fun. 
you know, hey, and and okay, we were wrapping up, but this is this is really cool, and this is why you need mentors in your life too, because David, you've been really instrumental in trying to help me find my calling, because you know I had a blog for five years before I really started blogging seriously, and I remember some conversations we would have two or three years ago, and you're like, so where is the content limit? Like, do you just create this stuff? And, you know, great mentors ask great questions. And you really pushed me. And I'm like, you know, David, I don't know where the bottom is, but I haven't found it yet. Why can I write one to three blog posts a week? I don't really know on leadership. And you were, you were both shocked that there was that much content, but such a great encourager. And, you know, to again, it's like a Buckhead Church thing to think that there would be all these people who read my blog. I mean, at that time when we were having those conversations, there were like a, a thousand people a month who, who read my blog and it's just taken off. Here's a great example of God's principle. You know, God put his thumbprint on each of us. So we have common grace and we have this, we're built in God's image. But he also gave us unique abilities and talents. We know that as Christians. And, you know, the things that you're really good at doing and the thing, that thing that God put in you, you rarely see because you think everyone has it. You know, so I think you were shocked that I was asking you that question, like, where's the end of this content train? I, I don't know how you do this. You're like, I don't know. I, I got 10 more. I don't know this how afternoon. I do this. You were the last person to say, yeah, I think I'm a content creator. And I'm like, it's just intuitively obvious to anyone who spends time around you. Well, as a pastor, as you're, as you're talking to business leaders or whatever, you can, you can see the thumbprint of what God put in them. And you can call it out and say, wow, God built you with the ability to do this or that. You know that's unique, don't you? you know, because sometimes you don't see it in the mirror. And uh, that's an advantage, again, that we have, you know, just knowing Scripture or whatever. But and not that you didn't see it from Scripture or whatever, but that's just, that just something God built into you and, and, and wants you, clearly put you on this planet to do, and it's fun to watch you do it. But you and I have had multiple conversations in person and, you know, over video and so on, because you're in Atlanta and I'm in right. north of Toronto, and even at my house, I mean, when you've been up here. Right. But, you know, I get, I, I, let me just close it this way by saying this, I get notes I don't think it's an exaggeration to say every day from people saying, thank you, you know, thanks for the blog or thanks for the podcast or, you know, whether that's a comment on social media or a blog post or whatever. But what you need to know is there are guys like David McDaniel behind that. And if you hadn't been an encourager, if you hadn't been a guy who's praying for me, you know, I might not have taken that gift as seriously. And, and it's guys like you, David, and I know you're blushing right now, but you give me the confidence in, in those early days. And, and, and even at times where it gets hard to do all this stuff and lead a church full time to keep going. So I just want to say thank you. And what an honor it is to have you on the podcast today. Oh, well, thank you, Carrie. The pleasure's been all mine. And thank you. Those very kind things that you said. I appreciate that. So, David, here's the bonus round. You had a thought that we didn't cover in the interview because we just kept talking. So go ahead, share it. I thought it was brilliant. So one of the ways that I would try to explain North Point or Buckhead Church more typically, because I live in Buckhead and I hang around, you know, Buckhead business people and they, they might hear about it or they know I'm involved in a church and they would ask a question or whatever. And I, I would say, look, probably the best way to explain it is not going from church world to try to explain what we do, but rather say, what if you, what if you were going to open a business and you were going to try to attract, you know, you know, 18 to 40 year old, you know, or 45, 50 year old people that didn't regularly go to church. 
and you wanted them to come and and have a great experience. And though you know most of these folks believe in some sort of God or believe in some sort of good, but they don't like church. So how are you going to get around that? What would you do? Well, Buckhead Church was created to do that, and it was a like a business, but it was created to do that. So if you were if you had a clean sheet of paper and we're going to build quote unquote a business to attract this marketplace. And to and to change their lives to the extent you had any effect at that. You know, that's that's how the church happened. And and so I think young church leaders can say, how would you how would you approach how could you help me approach this particular problem I'm having? At its core, it's it's a business or an organization problem. You know, and so I think you really engage business leaders really lean in when they realize, oh, you do this music for a reason, or you do you made this environment look really attractive for a reason. It wasn't your personal taste. It was to attract a marketplace. They understand that. Even atheists understand that. And so it, it, it's appealing. You know, we all love stories of businesses that do something innovative to attract a market. Everyone loves that story. And uh, everyone loves that story, whether it's a church or a ministry or, or, a, uh, or a restaurant. And if that's, you know... If that's happening in business, why should it only happen in business? Why can't the church be that way too? Right. So I, I think when you, when you expose the commonality of what you're trying to do and what, quote unquote, they, the business world is trying to do, and you show them that really our worlds aren't that different, you just, you, you, close, that, you close that gap down a little bit. And I think that's a good thing. Well, I think you can probably sense after that interview why David and I have become such good friends over the last 10 years. So David, I'm so grateful you were able to share your wisdom. I know David's not the kind of guy who would ever put himself out there, but it was just so good that he did. And I'm so grateful for that. So um, David, thank you so much. If you want more information, you can just go to the show notes, by the way. You can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 47. kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 47, which means we will be back next week with episode 48. And next week, I am going to be having a conversation with a guy named Jeff Price. He is a leader of a local church. So for all of you who are like trying to figure out growth or trying to figure out change or are leading in a small church context, you're going to love Jeff's story. He's just a guy that I don't really know that well, but heard about him from an other leader and said, hey, would you be willing to be a guest on this podcast? He's got a great story. He's seen his church grow significantly, and he has engineered massive change in like a year. It's crazy. So if you're afraid of change or you're thinking about brokering change, Jeff will inspire you so much. And and one of the things I love about this, you know, being able to do this podcast is we talk to people who lead some of the biggest churches in the world and also some leaders who just like you and me are in the trenches, you know, not that people who lead big churches aren't in the trenches, but, you know, are in the trenches, uh, slugging it out with limited budget, limited resources, limited amounts of people. And Jeff's going to bring you a very inspiring story. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that is next week. And whatever you're doing this week, just know I'm pulling for you. And uh, I hope this has helped you lead like never before. Talk to you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.